Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind once again to open up your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. The New Testament book of 1 Timothy and we find our way to chapter number 5. We are continuing with our series of the pastoral epistles, understanding that these are personal epistles. They were not written to church members. They weren't written to a church institution like to the church of Corinth or the church of Ephesus. But they were written to men who were acting in the position of a pastor as the Apostle Paul is giving instructions to the pastor how to practically work with people in the church. Some things that they need to be reminded of for themselves as the pastor. And as we're going to see in these chapters of chapter 5 and chapter 6, a practical guide that a pastor needs to teach and to instruct to the people. Someone has to teach things. Someone has to be responsible in instructing things to people of the church, like we saw the widows this morning. That, that's a very big deal. So much there was a big fight in Acts chapter 6 dealing with the idea of widows and whether widows were being taken care of and the rules that were set up to take care of widows. That was a practical ministration. But if a pastor doesn't teach those things, how do people know? And so these are things that our pastor are supposed to teach to the people so that way they understand their responsibility, what we're doing, and why. Now we find ourselves to the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 5. The book of 1 Timothy chapter number 5. And if you don't mind, let's pick it up starting at verse number 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting at verse 17, the Bible says this. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Let them that sin rebuke before all, that others, may, <laughs> that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality." Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they... That, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of First Timothy? The book of First Timothy in chapter number 5, and if you don't mind, notice the phrase in verse number 17. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 17, notice the phrase, worthy 
of double honor. Worthy of double honor. And here we're going to see some instructions that was given by the Apostle Paul to the pastor in regards to several different aspects of practical church life. But we have the phrase that's going to cover this all, dealing the idea with the pastor, worthy of double honor. Worthy of double honor. If you don't mind, let's take some time and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you for the great privilege it is to gather around your word tonight, to open up your word, to study it. And as we hit this passage here, we understand this is a passage that a lot of pastors shy away from, not because they're afraid of it, it's just because it's uncomfortable for a pastor to speak to others about pastors. I'm asking that we would just set that aside, that we'd open up your word in a clear way, and that we'd have understanding that the people could understand what is supposed to go on, what needs to happen, and the different things that have to be taken care of. Lord, again, because this is something that we need understanding on, again, I ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. Set myself aside, my ambitions, my goals, my desires, the things that I think that needs to be done. Set those aside so that way you can get accomplished exactly what you want done tonight through your precious word. Thank you again for us being here and you do a wonderful work. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. In this passage, it almost seems like a, a couple quick things. As Paul is writing to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, don't forget to do this. And Timothy, teach people this. And Timothy, make sure this is done. And Timothy, make sure this is done. And so we're going to wrap up some of these things here that Paul is giving instructions for in the last part of 1 Timothy chapter 5 as some things that Paul is instructing Timothy, who is acting in the office of a pastor, to make sure is taught and observed to the people so that way they can have an understanding of how things work. If you don't mind, the very first thing that we want to see here is instructions for honoring elders. Instructions for honoring elders. Notice if you don't mind in verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Let elders, now we've already come across this before and we've explained that there are several terms synonymous with pastor found throughout the Bible. We have the word pastor, which means shepherd. We have the word bishop, which means overseer. Someone has to be in charge. Someone has to make sure that the bills are getting paid and things are getting taken care of. And then we also see the word elder. The word elder carries the idea of someone who's spiritually mature. But all three of those terms are dealing with the same office, the different aspects of the office. So when it comes up to, in verse 17, let the elders, let the pastors that rule or administrate to bishop, to oversee, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now we see this idea of worthy of double honor and say, all right, what does that mean? Do I say hello to him twice? Do I shake his hand twice? Well, what is this idea? Well, just as we mentioned earlier this morning talking about widows, this idea of honor actually carries the idea of monetary payment. And that comes to a very practical idea. Let's say that we have a church that is looking for a pastor and they have some things set in order. They're just looking for a pastor. But when a congregation's looking for a pastor, someone's got to ask the question, how much do we pay them? If I was to come to you and say, what is a pastor? What should he get paid? You hope that I don't ask you that question. What does a pastor get paid? I mean, do we give a minimum wage? 
Do we pay them by the hour? Do we give them a salary? What do we do? Do we pay them in potatoes and chickens? What, how do you take care? That's a good practical question because most people in a church, they want to honor the pastor, but like everything else, they don't want to give them too little and they don't want to give them too much. How much do you give a pastor? That's a good question. Now, the problem is, is that pastors don't like to talk about what they get paid. I mean, it's kind of uncomfortable. It makes it, pastors almost feel like people are going to feel like they're selfish and that we're all in it for the money. Any pastor worth his salt is not in it for the money. But if he doesn't instruct the people, they don't know. So how much does a pastor get paid? Well, the Bible gives the answer here. The Bible says here, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. So the idea of honor here is the idea of a wage. They are worthy of double honor. They're worthy of a double wage. So that's more. And there's practical ways, and we're not going to cover them, of to figure out what does that mean. But it carries the idea that they need to be paid well. They need to be paid very well. Now, why? Why do you pay a pastor? Do you pay a pastor to preach? Absolutely not. No way. You cannot pay me enough money to preach. Because if you pay me to preach, that means you control what I preach. Does that make sense? Then why do we pay a pastor? You take care of a pastor's finances so he is free to obey God's will. Does that make sense? The reason why you take care of the pastor's finances is so he is free to follow God's will, whatever God tells him to do. A pastor who's worried about paying the electric bill or paying the car payment or can we get this done or can I buy shoes for my kids, that takes brain power, time, and then <laughs> invariably he has to go get another job in order to take care of those things and that's to the detriment of helping the church. The pastor is supposed to be taking time in the service of word and prayer to be in the Bible, to be praying for you. And if he's worrying about finances... By the way, you have places where you've worried about finances before. Isn't that take a lot of brain power? How am I going to pay this? How am I going to take care of this? Well, the pastor's made out of the same stuff you are. And if the bills need to get paid, well, he can't just ignore it. He can't just put it in a file box and say, all right, God will take care of it. I'll just close it up in there. God knows where it's at. So it's just an idea of a practical idea that you want to take care of a pastor so well that he doesn't worry about finances. So he is free to obey God's will and wherever God tells him to do. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? It's an idea of a practicality. But if a pastor doesn't teach that, the people don't know. And they say, all right, well, minimum wage is $4.29 above that. But, you know. Let's take care of that. You know, the, the, they don't know what to do for him. Does that make sense? So <laughs> notice in verse 17, as it gives another qualifier to this. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. For a pastor that is doing what he's supposed to and studying and praying and laboring for the Lord, you don't want him to have to go somewhere else or go do something else in order to compensate for finances. You want to try to keep the pastor where he's at if possible. You don't want finances to be any kind of lure or trigger for him to go take care of his family. He has to go do something else. 
So again, a practicality, especially for those who are actually doing something for the Lord. You want them to stay working for the Lord. Notice as it goes on in verse 18. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So here it gives an Old Testament illustration of an agricultural illustration that when you are in the harvest time and you're going through the corn and the wheat and the grain that you don't want to muzzle the ox and say, nope, you can't have any of it. How cruel would it be to be taking an ox and working him all day and he's going around the corn and the wheat and the crops and he can't eat any of it. And he's the one that's working. Shouldn't the ox be at least allowed to graze a little bit as he's traveling? Here it's carrying the idea. Isn't the ox, <laughs> thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. It carries the idea that, hey, listen here. You can help all of us with our problems, but you don't worry about your problems. No, no, don't you think about your finance. You don't want to do that. He's worthy of a hire. If he works, if he's laboring for the Lord, you should take care of him. Notice as it goes on. It, notice the words are in red. This is what Jesus said. And the laborer is worthy of his reward. A preacher who's doing what he's supposed to is worth the investment. So what we see here is the instructions for honoring elders. The instructions for honoring elders, we know the word honor here, is carrying the idea with payment, actually monetary payment. Now it moves on to a different subject, still dealing the idea of what the pastor is supposed to be instructing things to do. We see here the instructions for accusing elders. The instructions for accusing elders elders. Once again, this is a topic that Paul is instructing Timothy. Timothy, you as the pastor of the church of Ephesus, you need to instruct people how to properly rebuke an elder, how to give an accusation to an elder so they do it correctly. Do you know that if it's not taught, then guess what? It will be done incorrectly. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 19. Against an elder or a pastor, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. It is amazing how ready people are to gossip against preachers. It doesn't take much before they're ready to gossip against preachers. People will entertain themselves by eagerly passing on stories to others. So here is a simple rule that the pastor is supposed to teach the people don't receive an accusation against an elder. So if somebody comes up to you and says, did you hear what pastor did? You should say, nope, I can't receive it. If it's just your word, I can't hear anything bad against the preacher. I'm not even supposed to receive an accusation. Now, this is supposed to cut out against the gossip. Now, does this mean that the pastor could get away with whatever he wants? No, but there is a proper way. Notice as it goes on in verse 19. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So it says that you don't go through the gossip phase, but if the pastor did legitimately do something wrong, you take two or three witnesses who have observed, who, who witnessed and or have studied, researched this matter out, and let them formally accuse the preacher. Because we don't want him to get away with murder. If, he, if he's having an affair with his secretary, that needs to be taken care of. If he's embezzling money, that needs to be taken care of. But you don't do it by gossip. You do it by 
having the deacons, the trustees, the people who've researched the finance go up and say, Pastor, we think something is wrong here. And they come, not one at a time, they come at two or three witnesses. We have observed the books. We saw this. Things didn't line up. Can you explain it? Pastor, we saw you in town with your secretary and your secretary is not your wife. You know, and so there is a proper way that if there's sin, you need to deal with sin. It needs to be dealt with properly. But gossip is not to be tolerated and you shouldn't gossip against. There's something about gossip that if you, if somebody talks bad about your pastor to you and you receive it, you, whether you like it or not, will look at your pastor differently. Whether the accusation was true or not, it changes the way that you think. It's how Satan drives a wedge in between the pastor and the folks. Because someone heard gossip. Well, I heard that he told Susie this. Well, I heard that he told Aunt Joe this. What that does is drive a wedge. And when it comes time for the pastor to help you, you won't receive it. When it comes time that the pastor needs to rebuke you to fix something, you won't receive it. But if he is doing something wrong, you don't want to brush it under the rug. You don't want to hide it, but it needs to be taken care of. Notice as it goes on in verse 20. Them that sin rebuke before all that others may also, sorry, that others also may fear. So here it's dealing the idea that you don't gossip against the elder, but if he did do something wrong, there's evidence of it. You go with two or three witnesses and you confront him and you deal with it publicly, meaning you don't sweep it under the rug. Now, you're not trying to give the church a black eye. You're not going to make a big public thing and sell tickets to. But it is something that you want to do properly. You want to paperwork it. You want to make sure that it is taken care of in such a way that people say, if their pastor can't get away with sin, then no one else is going to get away with sin. Because sin is awful and it is horrible and it needs to be dealt with. So we could see the instructions not only in honoring elders, but we see in instructions in accusing elders. And again, this is the pastor's responsibility to teach the church how to deal with these things. How to deal with the pay of the, the, the preacher. How to deal with accusations against the preacher. Notice as we see something else here in verse number 21, we see instructions for elders in working with others. Instructions with elders for working with others. Notice with me in verse number 21. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Now it's one thing he says, I charge thee before God. But not just God, I charge thee before Jesus. And then just to throw in something extra, I charge thee between the elect angels. This is some pretty serious. He's trying to get Timothy's attention here. Hey, you make sure, listen to me, listen to me. That thou observe all things without preference, one before another, doing nothing by partiality. What he's saying is that you as a preacher, you need to keep yourself out of trouble. And you don't need to listen or do something for someone just because they have influence. Because you're afraid they're going to throw a, fence or throw a fit. Because you're afraid that they're going to take away their finances. Or because you want more finances. That whatever the thing is, you deal with all people equally. Whether they have money, whether they don't have money. Whether they, they are influential, whether they're the mayor or not. It doesn't matter if the mayor becomes a member here. He needs to be treated just as long as this equal as if someone else who wasn't the mayor. 
If the owner of Walmart was a member of the church, we would treat him just the same as someone who is homeless who comes in and gets saved and starts to get right with God. Now, that's against the flesh because we, we all like to try, whether we like to admit it or not, we try to treat people differently. But they need to be treated just the same. And as a pastor, you can't let someone else's influence. They could be the biggest tither in the church. But you can't cater to them just to keep their money flowing. You have to treat all people equal and equal status. If they need your time, <laughs> you give your time just as much as you would give it to someone else. Everything that is done needs to be without preferring one to another. Not doing nothing without partiality. Then it comes on and deals the idea of laying on hands. Verse number 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man neither be partaker of another man's sins keep thyself pure <clears throat> so what we see here is that timothy is also to guard himself from promoting someone in the lord's work just suddenly that a christian must be proved before uh, moving into an area of service remember we've used that idea of prove before the word prove means to be tested and the only way that you could be proved is to be put to the test what do we mean by this for example the idea of proved is that we <coughs> if someone is going to be a Sunday school teacher someone's going to be a deacon a trustee they need to prove themselves how do they prove themselves well the pastor needs to tell them no one time and see how they respond if they don't rebel, if they don't gossip, if they don't throw a fit, well, then they've kind of proven themselves. If somebody's on church discipline, you don't just get them off discipline immediately. They have to prove themselves that they're going to be consistent, that they're truly repentive. You have to be very careful of these things. <clears throat> In fact, there are three specific situations that this carries the idea. First of all, in consecrating a pastor, a deacon, or another recognized servant of the Lord. that Not to lay hands on them suddenly, to wait, to prove, to take their time. A second one is for arresting a person for arraignment before church governing body. So before we put someone on church discipline, you want to take your time. Just because you hear of it doesn't mean you have to react. Let's get the facts. Let's understand what's going on. Let's research it. Or restoring someone from church discipline and putting them back into full membership. These are three areas that you have to be careful on because if you do it suddenly then it can hurt the church, it can hurt the pastor's reputation and his testimony, and it could affect others. Let's think about some of these. The, someone who rushes in putting a Christian into service, if we say, oh man, this is the golden child. This is someone, oh, look at them. They, they need to be in service right away. Let's rush them into it. Well, because they're in a position that they're not ready for, we set them up for failure. Let's take a Sunday school teacher. Let's say that someone gets saved and they start carrying their Bible and they start studying it. Woohoo, this is great. I've been reading my Bible all the time. All right, now it's time for you to be a Sunday school teacher. Let's put you up in the class. So they put them up in a class and give them a Bible, give them a bunch of kids and say, good luck. You're setting them up for failure. You're not preparing them. And it's going to hurt them. And why be surprised later on when they said, I can't teach Sunday school. I'm burned out. And then when they quit Sunday school, they quit church. We're setting them up for failure. You take a young man and <clears throat> he's really catching on fire, but he's not proven yet. You can't lay hands on him and say, guess what? This is my new assistant pastor. Everyone answer to him. 
it'll go to his head. It will hurt him. And then next thing you know, he's leaving the ministry and never serving God again because someone rushed him into a position that he wasn't proven, wasn't trained, and wasn't equipped for. Let's take a second scenario. Let's say that we hear rumor that there's sin in the camp, that someone is shacking up with another person. Well, instead of dragging him before the church and say, listen here, we heard a rumor. Well, if it's not true, we've hurt that person horribly bad. Horribly bad. Plus, the church will not trust when a situation comes up before. They'll be a little bit more reluctant. And it could hurt a lot of people. So we can't rush to judgment. Let's say that there's someone on church discipline. And they seem repentive. They smile and say, I'm with you. Unless they've proven that they've repented of their ways. No one should ever come back off church discipline unless they admit what they did was wrong and try to get it fixed. And meaning they need to take the initiative if they're truly right with the Lord. But to get someone and say, all right, well, I could see you're really, you're really sorry. I could tell by the smile on your face and the twinkle in your eye that you're really sorry. And they restore him. And then the person goes back into sin. He was never really repentive. That hurts the church. And it makes people think they could get away with it. You know, all I'm going to do is get a slap in the hand. Then I could go ahead and it starts to mess everything up. And so Paul is instructing Timothy here in a very practical way, lay hands on no man suddenly. Notice again what the language says in verse 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of another man's sins. Keep thyself pure. This is carrying the idea here that the pastor has the responsibility because he's the overseer that if they mess up and they fail, he carries part of that blame and part of that responsibility. And so again, he's instructing Timothy, Timothy, you're the one in charge. You can't pass the buck off to someone else. You need to make sure that these things are taken care of. And the word pure here, it says that keep thyself pure. This word pure here carries the idea of not contaminated, not contaminated. We want to keep everything pure. We don't want to contaminate. We don't want to muddy the waters. We want to make sure that it is clear in everything that we do in the right time, at the right place, with the right spirit, with the right manner. There's one last thing that we see here. As again, Paul is giving instructions to Timothy, who is acting as the pastor, of things that he needs to make sure is either taught or overseen. That he has instructions for <coughs> honoring elders. They give instructions for accusing elders, some instructions for dealing with people. But then we also see here instructions for the elders, some instructions that Timothy is supposed to observe himself. Notice with me in verse number 23, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Now, Paul takes time and is thinking about Timothy personally, that personally, Timothy had some health issues going on. Now, Timothy was raised, as far as we can understand from the scriptures and history, that Timothy was a teetotaler, meaning that he was a total abstainer from alcohol. And what Paul is telling him is that, Timothy, I know that you don't drink alcohol as a beverage. Praise the Lord, that is good. But it is all right to use NyQuil for medicine. That's just basically long and short. 
it's all right. I know that you don't like to have alcohol of any kind, but it's all right to have just a little bit for thy wine's sake. Remember, this is the ancient world where they don't have the filtration systems that we have. In fact, a lot of the world still doesn't have the filtration systems. So they have bacteria and viruses and parasites and whatnot. Well, a little bit of wine in the water <coughs> will actually uh, be treated as an antiseptic. Sometimes it's <laughs> healthier to drink the wine rather than the water and get the parasite. And he's just saying a little. That's the key word, a little. You're not drinking alcohol as a beverage, but you're using it as a medicine. It's all right to take NyQuil as long as you're not taking the bottle and chugging it. That's not what we're talking about. It is all right to take medicine. It is all right. You're not, it's going to be all right, Timothy. You need to take care of your health. Notice he gives another reminder here, verse number 24, of something else. Some men's sins are open. And that's true. Some men, they sin openly. Everyone knows about it. But guess what? Those, <laughs> some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. And some men, they follow after. So th what this is saying here is that some men have open sins, and guess what? They're going to stand before God and give an account. And some men, they don't have open sins. You don't even know what sins they have, and they're going to go to the judgment. Meaning that, all of people are going to go to the judgment seat and they're going to give an account to God. So some people sin openly, but guess what? Some people don't sin openly. People are sinners. Just be prepared for it. But guess what? On the other hand, verse 25, likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. That one day, here's the good news, your good works will be revealed too. Isn't that wonderful that at the judgment seat of Christ, it's not all the bad stuff you did, but the good stuff you did. Everything that you do has consequences, whether it's good or bad. Sin has consequences, but labor for the Lord also has consequences. And they may not be open now, but one day they will be revealed. That's an encouragement, isn't it? And so those were just some practical reminders that Paul was trying to tell Timothy. Timothy is the pastor. Uh, let me give you some instruction. Let me try to help you. You need to teach the people about taking care of the preacher and his pay. You need to teach the people about how to accuse an elder that when it's proper and when it's just gossip. Timothy, I'm giving you a reminder that you need to deal with people, that you don't need to rush into things. You don't need to deal people with partiality. You need to deal people equally and understand that sin is awful. But good works is great. Take care of yourself, Timothy. I love you. It's almost like that father figure just working with Timothy and trying to give him instructions. Now, again, I know that this is more practical. This is more idea of just instruction here. And you say, what does it do for me? I'm not the pastor. Well, you need to pray for your pastor. You need to pray for your pastor. You see, a lot of this dealt with not only pay. Go back to verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. Here we see the idea. What is the pastor supposed to be doing? Laboring in word and doctrine. And verse 19 and 20, we're dealing with the accusation of an elder. By the way, before anyone ever has a public fall, it starts with a private failing. Before a pastor cheats on his wife, he stopped reading his Bible. Before he starts going into sin, he stopped his walk with God. So what are you trying to tell me, preacher? I'm trying to say that you have a responsibility to your preacher. 
to pray for your preacher. How do you pray for your preacher practically? That he stays in his Bible every day. If there's one thing I could beg of you to say, preacher, how can I be a help to you? Pray for me every day that I'm in my Bible. That as you get your Bible reading, you say, well, if I'm reading my Bible, pastor needs to be reading his Bible. Let me pray for him. It's one of the greatest things you could do. You say, but you're the pastor. Of course you've got Bible reading down. No, no, no. Let me tell you, the biggest enemy of the ministry is the ministry. I can spend so, many, so much time doing things for God that I fail to spend time with God. I can get to the place where I'm so busy that all I could do is write sermons, but I don't read the Bible for myself. That's going to hurt you. That's going to affect the church. Everyone should have a deep well to draw, uh, to, to draw from, but that well can dry out. doesn't matter how deep it is. It has to have that water replenished. We have to have the water, word of God in everyone's life. I, if I stop growing, you stop growing. If I plateau out, you plateau out. One thing that I used to say about my pastor when I was assistant at the pastor, I think he hated it, but I used to say this. My pastor is not perfect. It's probably the part he didn't like. My pastor is not perfect, but he's growing in God. And as long as he's growing in God, I could follow a man like that. That's what you need to be doing is praying for your pastor. You need to be praying for him that he is in his word. That he has the walk with God. That his Bible is alive. That is speaking to him. That he's not so busy that he's failing to spend time with, his, with God. You need to pray that God, that he guards that prayer life. That prayer life. That Bible reading time. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. That's how you can apply something to here. Because it's dealing with the idea of a pastor. And there's a lot of things to remember and a lot of things that require discernment. Where do you get that discernment? From the pastor's walk from God. That's how he learns how to discern things in the church, to make correct judgments, to have great, uh, the correct decisions that need to be made is his own personal walk with God. And by the way, if you don't have your own personal walk with God, Maybe you need to pray for yourself that you have your Bible reading. It's not just check off the box. It's not just my words touch, every, my eyes touch every word on the page where it's like Charlie Brown, but that it's alive, that your Bible reading speaks to you and that your prayer life, oh, that it's real, that you're not talking to outer space. You're not talking to the wind. You're talking to a real God who's listening to you. That your own personal walk with God is alive. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.